If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 15. Some people in life will oftentimes use a phrase or a statement that they initially mean as a compliment, um, but once uh, the words come out of their mouth, it is often like a backhand to the person who receives that compliment. Uh, They start off very innocent, but you can't stop them quick enough from coming out of their mouth before you're like, yeah, this isn't going to end well. So statements like this, you get to work and you see someone that's normally not there when you get to work and you say, hey, you're on time. You're like, yes, it's a compliment, but you know that that's not going to be accepted Well, maybe you don't mean it as a compliment, but sometimes you would, right? Uh, What about a statement like this? Wow, your your new hairstyle really makes you look younger. So my old hairstyle didn't make me look younger, huh? Made me look older. What about this? I'm so impressed with how you are handling your children. I was actually told that the other day in HEB. Uh, A lady saw me and I was getting on to my children for uh, acting up. And she said, I'm really proud of the way you're handling your children. And I thought, I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or as an insult. And um, how about this last one? You look so pretty with makeup on. (laughs) Guys, I hope that you've never made that mistake to say that to your wife. Uh, But... On one hand, you're telling that person that they look beautiful. And on the other hand, you're like, yeah, you need to see what I'm saying. Tonight, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is going to have a conversation with a lady. And he's going to make a very broad statement. And if you've read it already this week in your time through the book of Matthew, maybe you came to this passage and you had this wide eye look on your face when you thought Jesus just said that to her because at first it's going to seem really harsh but when we dig into the scripture we're going to see that uh, he's trying to make a point both to the woman and as well to his disciples and so with that said let's read uh, Matthew chapter 15 starting in verse 21 says and Jesus went away from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from, fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That's the word of God. Let's pray this, this evening. God, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this story of a Canaanite woman, of a Gentile woman 
who comes to plead for the health of her daughter. Father, I pray that you would teach us something tonight about what your word says and help, help us to apply it to our own lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it starts in verse 21. Jesus went away there to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Matthew does not necessarily tell us why Jesus has withdrawn, uh, why he's getting away with the disciples, but the book of Mark does. And if you look in the book of Mark, Mark tells us that Jesus was getting away because he wanted to get away from the crowds. He wanted to uh, withdraw from the crowds. We know that Jesus has... Uh, gained a lot of popularity in the healings that he's done and the ministry that he has started and people are following him by the thousands. We know that he's fed thousands of people with a little bit. He's performed miracle after miracle. We're going to talk about some of those in a little bit, but his popularity is gaining strength like crazy. And um, he needs a time away. Um, And so... He takes a moment to get away from uh, the people, to get away from uh, his people, the Jewish people. In Barclay's commentary, it says that this is the only time in Matthew that it shows Jesus going outside of Jewish territory. I'll comment more about that in a little bit. But here in chapter 15, in chapter 15 of Matthew, he writes about Jesus and his disciples going out of Jewish territory into Canaanite territory. Here's a map for you. You can see the cities of Tyre and Sidon. This was in Phoenician territory. That's one of your blanks there. Uh, this was Syria of the day. This would, have, would be in modern day Lebanon. Uh, if you recall a little bit about these two cities, uh, Hiram, the king of Tyre, would have been uh, the king responsible for providing the wood for David's palace. Uh, in the life of King David, he would have also been the king that would have been responsible for giving uh, the, the wood for the temple, the tabernacle, when Solomon would build the tabernacle. Um, we spoke last in the fall about the kings of the Old Testament, and you remember Jezebel. We talked about Jezebel as we talked about the kings, and her father would have been from this region. So as we talk about some of the people that uh, supplied the wood and uh, Jezebel would have been from this area. They were pagans. They were Canaanites. And the Canaanites were the ancient enemy of God's people throughout the Old Testament. The Canaanites were the ones who were in the land when Joshua showed up to inhabit the land. And they were supposed to get rid of them. They were one of the peoples. Uh, if you think about these two cities, um, Tyre and Sidon, Uh, Joshua, when he divided up the land, they were supposed to conquer these cities. Um, Just a side note there for you, a little interesting fact that the tribe of Asher were supposed to take over these cities. This was supposed to be a part of the promised land. But they remained Canaanite cities. They remained Canaanite cities. So they remained enemies uh, to God's people. And interesting enough, um, this story is the only time that the Canaanites are ever mentioned in the New Testament. Just a little side note for you there. I kind of thought that was interesting. So let's take a look at this story about this Canaanite woman and see what God wants to show us tonight. And here's our big idea for tonight. Never stop crying out to God. Never stop crying out to God. 
Let's read again. Jesus went away from there to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This is uh, my daughter Abigail. When she, before she was one years old, one year old, uh, when she was probably about five months old, we noticed this growth on the side of her face. You can kind of see it in this picture. Uh, this was a vascular malfunction, is what they call it, and so we had to go and get an MRI in Dallas. And as we go to Dallas, and we uh, hand her over to the doctors to get this MRI. You can see her right here. This was the last picture I took of her before they wheeled her away. And as a six-month-old little baby, and they're putting her under anesthesia so that they can do this MRI, and you're just like, this is crazy. This is uh, the the most fearful I've ever been for one of my children. Uh, And it was a little bit, it was a little scary. So I mentioned this story because I think this is the closest I can relate to the Canaanite woman that her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Uh, This is our drive on the way home after she got her legs amputated. I'm just kidding. She really didn't. (laughs) She just liked the Whataburger cups. I had to share that with you tonight. So, but if you think about this Canaanite woman and how she is crying out to Jesus, I need help. I need assistance here. There's something that I can't handle on my own. I've heard the stories about what you can do, and I know that you can help. And she's going to cry out to Jesus in this time of desperation. And that leads us to our first point. She sees Jesus for who he really is. She sees Jesus for who, she re- for who he really is. It's amazing if you think about the fact that a Canaanite woman sees Jesus as the son of David. She's going to cry out to him. She doesn't cry out to him and say, Rabbi. She doesn't say, Teacher. She doesn't say, Master. These are all terms that many of the Jewish people would call him. She calls him Lord, and then she calls him Son of David. Son of David is a messianic title. In essence, she is looking at him and saying, Messiah. She's looking at him and saying, You are the Savior of the world. Have mercy on me. This is huge. When you think about all of the people that Jesus has encountered till now in the book of Matthew, the people that he encounters day in and day out, people are very confused on who he really is. Who is this guy? Is he a teacher? Is this the son of Joseph? I mean, he's a carpenter. I mean, even those who are following Jesus his apostles, his disciples. Some of them will be somewhat confused about who Jesus really is until after the resurrection. They question it. This woman has no doubt. Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Jesus comes to this land to get away. Jesus comes to this land to get away. Yet she finds him, and she cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. This leads to our next point. She is not shy about approaching Jesus. I say this because this is probably a big deal for a Canaanite woman to come to a Jewish man and ask for help. They didn't like each other. 
They didn't really travel into each other's territories. It wouldn't have been a safe thing. They didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like them. I mean, what if the other people came out and saw her speaking with Jewish people? I mean, what would they think? What would they say? And notice how Jesus responds. He does it. Verse 23. He did not answer her a word. When I was reading this passage, I immediately began to think, man, what is going on in this story? What's happening here? Um, Why wouldn't Jesus just respond to her? I mean, he encounters unbelievers all the time, people who don't know who he is, people who are demon-possessed. He has plenty to say. And now, silence. He doesn't say a word. I want you to feel the tension there. There had to have been a little bit of of tension, especially as the disciples are watching, as she is encountering them, there's complete and total silence. Here, a woman is going through probably the most difficult thing that she's ever gone through in her life. She's at the end of her rope. She has nothing else to lose. She goes, she finds Jesus. She cries out to him. She seeks the guy out. She finds him and nothing. She's met with silence. She cries out to Jesus for mercy, which leads to our next point. She is not swayed when there is no reply from Jesus. It does not stop her from asking. She has absolutely everything going against her. She's a Canaanite. She's a woman. I mean, when she's a Canaanite, she's the enemy of God's people. Uh, Think about women in the culture. They didn't get recognition from uh, rabbis or teachers, if not Jewish men. All, they wouldn't even talk to a woman. Two big strikes against her, yet she still seeks Jesus out. And once she finds him, she cries out for, for help. Jesus is silent. Another roadblock. Jake, uh, this week, yesterday, he led uh, a little devotional in our staff meeting. He went through Matthew chapter 11 and he informed us about some guys that John the Baptist sent to Jesus. And he says, go just double check and make sure that this is the guy that he says he is. And Jesus sends the guys back with the message. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. People with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor hear the good news. Jesus was responsible for all of those things. He spoke to all of those people. He encountered all of those people. He was responsible for the healing and the miracles that were taking place. Yet here we see him encounter the Canaanite woman in their silence. So when I stopped and thought about this response, it made me think about how God often responds to his people with silence. Because sometimes when, God, when God's people cry out to God, he oftentimes responds with silence. I want you to think about as you read through the book of Psalms and the psalmist many times throughout the book of Psalms cries out to God saying, where are you? Think about Habakkuk. The prophet will cry out to God. Habakkuk 1-2 says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry violence and you will not save. 
The prophet here is making this assumption that God isn't listening, that God doesn't hear. God isn't going to do anything about the situation that he's in. This also made me think about Daniel, and I taught through Daniel a little bit, and it reminded me of a story when Daniel uh, sees a vision, chapter 10, and Daniel uh, continues to cry out to God saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? Give me clarity about what this means. And he gets no answer. And yet in Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 12, it says this. It says, then he said to me, an angel of the Lord comes and talks to Daniel. Fear not, Daniel, from, from this first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before the Lord, your words have been heard. From the very first day you uttered a prayer to God, he's heard you. And I have come because of your words. He says, listen, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. In essence, this angel of the Lord is saying, listen, there were some spiritual things going on that you didn't see. We were busy. There were things going on and we got here as quickly as we could, right? You're like, wow, that's kind of crazy. It's not that God didn't hear. It's not that God wasn't listening. It's that he would answer him in time. So when we pray, have we ever stopped to think that maybe there's something else going on in the spiritual realm? Or, this is a great option too, sometimes when I pray, I often get the answer when I really stop and think about it. It's like when you ask your mom for something that you know you're probably not going to get, and she just gives you the look. You ever had the look? I think sometimes God does that. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you think about it, and you'll get the answer on your own. Go ahead and read Scripture some more, and you'll get your answer. That's how God speaks to us as well. But sometimes, as Daniel talks about, there are things going on in the spiritual realm. And if this angel had not come to Daniel and said, hey, listen, we were busy. God hears you. Guess what? He wouldn't have gotten an answer. There would have been silence. But it didn't mean God wasn't listening. It didn't mean God didn't have a plan. Paul, when Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, he, made, uh, he was made aware of this thorn in the flesh that he had. And he's telling the people about this thorn in the flesh that he had. And he prayed that God would remove it. Multiple times he prayed that God would remove this thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. A lot of people speculate about eyesight and stuff. But what we do know is that he was burdened by it. And he asked the Lord to remove this thorn that was in his flesh. And he cried out to God to remove it. Multiple times he got no answer. Nothing. Not no, not maybe, nothing. He heard silence. And then after asking a third time, God tells him why he has this thorn in his flesh. He says this, chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, um, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was going through a very difficult situation to where he was crying out to God to remove it. God remained silent until he asked for the third time. He's like, nah, I'm not. I don't want, I'm going to let you keep it. I don't want you to get puffed up on me. I don't want you to get conceited on me. My grace is sufficient. In, when you are weak, I look strong. I am strong. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul asked. God was silent. But notice what Paul did not do. He didn't quit praying. He kept praying. He kept asking. Sometimes I think this is exactly what we do. We ask God for something. He doesn't answer. Maybe there's silence. It's met with silence. So we give up. Or maybe we don't, we stop praying and we just say, I'm just going to take care of this myself. We as Americans do that a lot. You know what? I'm able to do this on my own. I will take care of it on my own. I will stop asking. Sometimes when that happens, I think we become angry. We become depressed. All possible outcomes. But what should we do? Paul kept asking. Look at what this woman does. Uh, here's your next point. She does not stop asking when there isn't an answer. She keeps asking. Verse 23, and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out for us, after us. I love this phrase, send her away. If you translate this in the Greek, it literally means just give her what she wants so she will go away. Just give her what she wants. We came here to get away. Just get rid of her and we can relax. We can uh, enjoy some peace and quiet. It's exactly the type of situation when your kids come to ask you for a snack when you're watching football. Yes, just go get it and go away. That's what the disciples are asking Jesus to do here. Just give her what she wants. Make her go away. You know, I have zero clue how long this lady must have been, quote unquote, bothering them before the disciples went to Jesus and said, man, just get rid of her. Maybe people are starting to take notice. Maybe they're getting embarrassed. I mean, this is a region where these two people, these two sets of people wouldn't have liked one another. Over and over, she continues to ask. And the disciples have had enough. They're sick of hearing her story. And maybe when they, she hears the disciples ask Jesus this, maybe she's like, oh yeah, we're making a breakthrough. Maybe he won't listen to me, but maybe his buddies will bug him enough to where he'll give me what I want. Let's see how Jesus will finally respond. Because he's not going to turn and talk to the woman. He's going to turn and he's going to talk to his disciples. He's going to say this, 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow, another roadblock. Another hindrance here. Um, first we had silence. Jesus wasn't even speaking to her. And now he informs his disciple Listen, I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's one thing to hear nothing. It's one thing, it's another thing entirely to kind of be rejected from what he says to his disciples. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does that mean? This is basically God's plan. 
This is God's plan. God's people had been waiting for centuries for the Messiah. Jesus was that plan. He was the fulfillment of the the Messiah coming to bring salvation to his people, to bring the good news to Israel. These were his chosen people. And upon the rejection by God's people that he was the Messiah, it would be the apostles who were to take the good news to the Gentiles. But that wasn't in God's timing yet. And so when Jesus makes this statement, he is being 100% truthful. It's not that he you know, doesn't care for the Gentiles, but that was not why he was sent. I was sent to bring the good news to the house of Israel. Um, turn to Matthew 10, just a few chapters back. Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, because we're going to see Jesus send out the 12 disciples. He's going to send them out. He's going to give them some instructions before he sends them out. Look in verse 5. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. Enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He had come to share with God's people. He had come to share with Israel, to the Jews, that he was the Messiah. This was his plan. But you know what? This is what I really enjoy about this story. The woman didn't care about timing. And she wasn't going to allow this to stop her. She saw someone who could do something about her need. And she was going to continue to cry out for him until he, made, until he took care of that need. Roadblock after roadblock. But is she giving up? No. Her daughter is suffering and she doesn't care about timing. What does she do when he won't talk to her? She keeps asking. What does, he do, what does she do when he answers the disciples and not her? She continues with persistence to cry out. Verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. You know, if you've been reading through the book of Matthew, you have seen the mercy of Jesus on full display. You've seen uh, his compassion we know that he is compassionate. We've read from his word that he's compassionate. Uh, so if we know that he's compassionate and we know that he's full of mercy, abounding in steadfast love, then why would he continue to just give her the silent treatment? She's begging. She's pleading. Even the disciples, please just give her what she wants. Why do we doubt that he is compassionate. I mean, we'll read this story and I'm kind of like, well, why is he being this way? I think sometimes when God is silent in our lives, when God, when we cry out to God and we ask God for something and he's silent, I think sometimes we think God isn't answering me. And in a way, we look at that situation in our life and we think, and maybe he's not as good and compassionate and full of mercy as I think he is. Start changing what we think about God. Starts changing what we think about Jesus. Rather than believing what the Bible says, like we have read over and over throughout Matthew, we allow the silence of a prayer, the silence of God to an answering a prayer, to alter what we believe 
what we know to be true from reading God's word. I thought the Lord was full of compassion. I just don't know. The question we must stop and ask ourselves is that are we going to believe what the word of God says or are we going to believe our circumstances? Because sometimes I think our circumstances really do alter what we believe to, what we know to be true from God's word. Sad part is this happens often when we get a bad response, the response that we, maybe we don't want. Or if there's silence, oftentimes we'll just close our Bible. You know what? I just stop reading this. You're not, I'm crying out to you. I'm crying out to you. I hear nothing. Maybe it changes our heart. Maybe we get too busy to go to church. Maybe we think that God's not as good as he says he is. It happens very quickly and it's very internal. It's not like everyone can see it. It happens internally and maybe we start doubting the goodness of God. The lady could have done that here. This Canaanite woman, over and over, she kind of has these roadblocks going up when she tries to encounter Jesus. But she presses on. She continues to cry out to God. She falls down at his feet and pleads with him, help me. I think Jesus is trying to teach uh, her something in this story. I think Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. And he's definitely trying to teach us something. And it's completely consistent with what Jesus continues to try to teach us about prayer. Uh, Flip over to Luke, Luke chapter 11. Hope I'm not stealing one of Landon's passages when we go through Luke. But Luke chapter 11. When we think about what Jesus teaches us when he teaches us to prayer and the attitude we should have in prayer. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. He says this, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The woman coming to Jesus is in prayer is very consistent with what Jesus teaches us about prayer throughout the Gospels on how we should come to him in boldness, in confidence. You know, this is a friend coming to your house to ask for bread. You know why you go to a friend's house to ask for bread? Because you know they're going to give it to you. They're not going to deny you. And that's the type of confidence that we should go to God with and expecting asking. The woman believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he could heal her daughter because she'd heard the stories and she was going to do everything in her power to cry out to him to get relief for her and her daughter. Luke chapter 18, a few chapters over. Starting in verse 1. And Jesus tells them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, 
Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What an interesting question right here at the end of this prayer. This thing, teaching them how to pray. This is a parable about prayer. Keep praying, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking. However, when I come back, when I return, will I find faith on earth? So what does it take to press on? What does it take to keep asking when there's only silence? And the answer is faith. Faith in what? Faith in the goodness and the mercy of God. We have to believe he's exactly who he said he was. So if I told you uh, if I wanted bread from a friend, I could probably expect to get what I'm asking for. So what about this woman? She's a Canaanite. God's, you know, an enemy of God's people. And here comes the Messiah to the nation of your enemy. And you cry out for mercy. Maybe she has her fingers crossed. Maybe she's hoping for a miracle. He ignores you. You cry out more. He talks to his disciples instead of you. Falls down at his feet. Look, read, read with me again in 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whoa. What will she do? How do you respond to that? Uh, we hear that and we're like, did Jesus really call this lady a dog? Um, let me just say this. Jesus is not being cruel here. Uh, if you look at the word dog, uh, this is not... A dog like a dog that roams around the neighborhood that shows up your house when you're barbecuing. This is a, a household pet. This would be someone that lives in the house, that belongs in the house, that, you know, your children would play with. This is, would be like a household pet. And you're like, okay, Corey, that makes it better. You're, you're our household pet. You're not our, our stray dog. But seriously, Jesus is being brutally honest with this lady in this moment. He's being brutally honest. Because the truth is, you would not sit down with your children if they're hungry at dinner time and you pull out the chicken nuggets to give your children and your children are starving and you take the chicken nuggets and you start throwing them to the dogs. You're like, no, yes, you would not do that. You wouldn't. You would feed your children first and you'd go from there. You wouldn't let your children starve to feed the dogs. In a parallel story in Mark, Mark chapter 7, this parallel story, it says it like this. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus is simply making a statement of reality. He's not trying to insult her. He's not calling her a dog. He's also testing her faith. And I don't want you to miss that. He's testing her faith. And she will respond, which leads to my next point. She humbles herself before Jesus and she shows great faith. Jesus' job 
was given to go after the lost sheep of Israel. But after all of this, this amazing woman is not disappointed. She comes to him and she replies to his statement. Verse 27, and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She agrees agrees with him. She said, you know what? You're right. Everything that you've said, it's true. You wouldn't feed the dogs before you feed the children. But here she says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. Think about what the woman is saying here. She, the Canaanite woman, is saying to Jesus, I know I'm not of your people. I know that you shouldn't give me the portion that you give to your people. But she's also looking at him and saying, I'll take the crumb. Notice the woman's faith. Clinton Arnold says this, the woman's humility is striking. She willingly admits to and accepts her secondary status to the Jews and shows a perfect willingness to partake of the crumbs left over from the Jewish preeminence in the kingdom. This woman is certain that Jesus has more than enough authority and power to take care of her daughter with what is left over. She comes to Jesus with complete and total humbleness. I know I'm not your people. I acknowledge you for who you really are. I acknowledge myself for who I really am. And then noticing that she is not a part of that immediate plan, she says, okay, I'll take the crumb. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Great is your faith. This leads to our last point. She is satisfied because of her faith. It's amazing to think that the two times that Jesus says that someone's faith is great in the book of Matthew, it's two Gentiles. It's the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8, and it's the woman in this story. Your faith is great. You know, Throughout the book of Matthew, you will see four different levels of faith. You will see uh, the Jewish people that do not have faith. That's one. You will see those who have faith and even trust for salvation after they have been healed. That's two. You have the disciples whom Jesus oftentimes will look at and say, you of little faith. And then you have two Gentiles that he tells you have great faith. And Matthew says her daughter was healed instantly. And what a great story. So what do we need to learn from this uh, story today? What do we need to take away? First of all, we need to make persistent prayer a priority. We need to make constantly going to God in prayer a priority in our lives. Um, I think this is a struggle for most Christians today, especially in America. Um, We need a healthy dose of relying on God. Um, Just FYI, a side note for you, our pastor has written a great book on prayer. It's called Pray Better. And uh, I'm sure he would hook you up with a book if you ask him for it. He would love to get you a copy. But we should pray, pray, and pray some more. And when God is silent, we should continue to pray. We should take a lesson from this Canaanite woman of how we should pray. Sometimes God responds quickly. Sometimes he says no, 
And sometimes we need to remember point number two, silence doesn't mean that God isn't listening. There may be more going on than we realize. Uh, Just because there's silence doesn't mean he doesn't hear us. Silence can be healthy for us, but it definitely doesn't mean that he's not listening. Uh, Number three, we should continue to pray through the silence. Um, We don't need to get to a place to where we get discouraged. We definitely 100% don't need to take matters into our own hands. We need to continue to seek God and what he has for us. Uh, But we also need to learn how to wait. We need to learn how to wait on him. And, And last point. Jesus and the Gentile woman are giving, a, giving the disciples a model for future discipleship. I really like this point. You know, this story, the reason why Jesus went into this territory may have very well been to ultimately prepare the disciples for the, for the ministry to go to all the nations. Yes, first to the Jew, but also to the Gentiles. And maybe that's what his ultimate goal was in this, this plan to go to this territory. I really do believe that Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was to come. And so uh, Barclay says this. This was the only time it shows Jesus going outside of Jewish territory, foreshadowing the gospel spreading to the nations. And it shows us the beginning of the end of all barriers. You know, we talked about barriers tonight and how it seemed like between the Canaanite woman and and Jesus, there were all all these barriers that she had to overcome to even have a conversation with Jesus. Lots of hurdles to get over. And perhaps this story was pointing us to uh, ultimately what Jesus was doing, uh, what he was going to fulfill on the cross to remove the barriers, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles to... uh, be in a right relationship with the Father once again. And and so a beautiful story. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned something tonight. So let's pray.